This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We started learning last week. He's explaining, and somewhere it says that the mitzvot are there to mend and to fix the vessels of the divine emotional attributes, to expand the vessels by elevating the sparks. Elsewhere it says that the positive commandments come from the kindness and love of Hashem. The prohibitions come from the severities of Hashem. Elsewhere it says that it comes from the, the mitzvahs are rooted in the mind of Hashem. And elsewhere it says that the uh, mitzvot are rooted in the divine and the whiteness, which refers to the will and the pleasure. So he reconciles all of the above and he says that the will and the pleasure of Hashem is Hashem wanted to, desired that we should elevate the sparks, mend the vessels by nullifying our ego. And, and that's the general desire and pleasure that Hashem had for Torah mitzvot and each and the pleasure in each specific mitzvah because that through six hundred and thirteen paths and six hundred and thirteen ways how we take something physical and we transform it into something godly by nullifying our ego in this specific area in our life, in this specific area in our life, in this area in our life. Each one gives Hashem a specific pleasure. Like when you um, when you do an act of kindness so this gives Hashem pleasure, specific pleasure. When you do an act of severity, when you punish the wicked, or you're doing something, you're being strong when you have to be strong, that gives Hashem a certain pleasure. When, when you are compassionate, when the Torah says you should be compassionate, that gives Hashem a certain pleasure. So although the mitzvot are so diverse, 613, 248, right, left, center. And yet, they're all rooted in the same source. Is one, Hashem is one. So the Torah is one. The Torah, there's a singularity to the Torah. It's all one. And it's the same truth that's expressed, right, left, and center. It's not like you know, with human beings, with us, you have different philosophies. You have right and you have left. And each one is separated from the other. Each one is divorced from the other. It's connected from the other. 
You have liberal, you have conservative, you have capitalism, and you have uh, socialism and uh, communism. And each one has a different approach to life, and each one emphasizes a different uh, aspect, a different truth, a different highlights a different aspect, community versus the individual. In the case of capitalism, in the case of communism, it's all about the community. So each one just takes a little, a little slice, a little piece, and, that, and they build up their whole philosophy around it. In Torah, it's one Torah. And the same Torah tells the Jew, in this case, be tough, tough as nails, there's no pacifism in Judaism. In this case, be the most compassionate and the kindest. In this case, take the central approach. Because ultimately, it's all rooted in one, in the white. It's one, there's one point. There's one point. Hashem desired that we should transform the ego, overcome our egos. And that truth is expressed in 613 details, 613 different ways. Each organ, each situation, you accomplish that same theme, that same goal, in, a, in, in what it may appear to be opposite ways. In this case, it's kindness. In this case, it's, 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 it's being tough and severe. Rejection, prohibited. It's, you have to reject it, absolutely reject it. And here you have to absolutely embrace it. It's a mitzvah, it's positive. And engaging every part of the mind. Because the mind understands there are things that the mind understands that I should judge favorably and there, there are things that the mind understands and leads me that I should judge it strictly. I should be critical of it. And then some things the mind says, no, I should judge it favorably, which causes me to lean towards saying it's mutter, it's permitted, it's, it's okay. And then there, there are other, other ideas where the mind leans to the opposite direction. So the, it's all engaging, and it engages the mind, it engages every part, and, um, and it's all-encompassing. So therefore, all of the above is true. The mitzvot start out, the white, the white which refers to that, want, that will of Hashem, that desire that Hashem had, which on a deeper level, it's the pleasure that it gives Hashem, which is why He had the will, because Hashem desired there should be a world which is egotistical, which does feel separate and apart. And we, through our effort, through our service, through our mitzvot, we take this world, we take this physical, this physical world, coarse, crass, physical world, and we elevate it. And we elevate the sparks, and we make it godly, and we, we rise above our ego, and rise above our nature, and, and, and we turn it into a mitzvah, and something sacred, and something holy. And thereby expanding the vessels of the world of emanation, which when the vessels expand, they're able to contain these tremendous energies and lights, which result as a result of the elevation of the sparks and revealing its source and these intense energies that are now revealed, and now we have the vessels with which to receive these energies. So this is what Hashem desired. This is what Hashem, this is what Hashem gives Hashem pleasure. And therefore, the you had the Torah, which is the mind, so to speak, of Hashem, which develops all these different thoughts. The Torah says, in this case, you have to be strict. In this case, it's, it's, you have to reject it. It's not kosher. It's prohibited. It's impure. Guilty. Obligated. In this case, it's 
kosher, it's permitted, pure. So you have these different ideas, and then which leads to different decisions, emotional decisions, kosher, not kosher. And so therefore, all of the above is true. The goal, but the goal is, the ultimate goal is the actual mitzvah, the actual mending and, and uh, elevating of the sparks. That's the end goal, that's the purpose, that's what gives Hashem pleasure, that's what, that's what Hashem desires. So the mitzvot touch on many aspects of the divine. It reaches many aspects of the divine. Hashem's will, Hashem's pleasure, Hashem's mind, Hashem's emotions, and ultimately into the vessels, which are the whole purpose that we should mend and fix the vessels, expand the vessels, so that they should be able to receive and absorb these intense energies that are unleashed and revealed as a result of us physically doing the mitzvah in the here and now in this physical world. The source of the divine intellect is the love munit of Kesel, which is the supreme delight and desire of the light below into the 248 organs of Zah, for relative to Kesel is being below. Thus the Zohar also says elsewhere that the commandments are rooted in the level of supernal Kesra, where there are no attributes of severity, whatever. But this is the source of mitzvot, as they exist in the supreme delight and desire of Kesra. The light drawn forth divides into 613 individual streams according to the respective levels of the mitzvot. For instance, through charity and kindly deeds, the infinite Ein Sof light is drawn into the external aspects of the vessel of the attribute of kindness of Zah. Since Chesed is of the right side of Zah, a kindly act of charity in this world below draws down the infinite light into the corresponding right side above, into the of <coughs> kindness of Zah. Just as this arousal from below sprang from kindness, so too the reciprocal arousal from above comes as a direct and similar response, drawing down the infinite light into the chesed of Zah. While through observing mitzvot that are in the order of severity, the infinite light is drawn into the external aspect of severity of Zah with mercy. The path and passage of the issuing light that is drawn into the external vessels of Zah is through the internal aspect of the vessels and their intellects, which are in terms of a Jew's service, awe, and love, either intellectually generated or innate. Whereas the former is an expression of intellect, the latter is an expression of the spiritual emotion. These attributes correspond in terms of the supernal spirit to the major or minor divine intellect. The minor divine intellect corresponds to man's innate love and fear of Hashem, while the major divine intellect corresponds to the love and fear of Hashem that are born of meditation. King David says, Hashem is my shadow. Hashem Tzilcha, God is our shadow. So the Baal Shem Tev says, like a shadow imitates whatever we do, that's what the shadow does automatically. So it all depends on what level of service we have towards Hashem. Hashem parallels that. So if we serve Hashem with our natural emotions, because every Jew is born naturally and natally with a feeling, an instinct for godliness. So if we just reveal that instinct and just work with that instinct, 
That's what he calls a lower level of, of the mind. You're not really developing a penetrating, deep, profound understanding. It's, it's, it's like a natural feeling, understand, awareness that we're born with. So even awakening that and being in touch with that is a certain level, but it's a very small level. So if we serve Hashem just naturally, without any great effort on our part or without any great input, it doesn't take a lot of effort, you just have to reveal what's there. You didn't, you didn't create it, you're born with it. You're just revealing it, not getting in the way, getting out of the way. So too, Hashem corresponds also that you only have the revelation of a lower level of, of intellect. But if a person exerts himself and a person really engages his mind fully and really develops a deep, profound understanding of Hashem, this awakens from above also a tremendous level of, of Hashem's revelation, of Hashem's mind, Hashem's understanding, which is a, a revelation of godliness, a much more intense revelation of godliness. And this affects the emotions depends what level of intellect you reveal, that's the effect that's going to have on the emotions. You know, if it's just a, a lower level of intellect, of awareness, you're not going to change the emotions, you just reveal the emotions, the natural emotions. But if a person develops a deep, penetrating understanding, that can transform a person's emotions. That can really even radically change your emotions even go completely beyond your nature. It could even change you entirely. A person could be uh, introverted by nature, but if a person reaches a very deep, profound level of intellect, he can, can radically transform that nature. You know, if you take the Rebbe, for example, by nature he was totally introverted. Before he became Rebbe, the Chassidim hardly knew him because he was totally introverted. He was very quiet to himself. You know, the previous Rebbe would order him, you have to fabreng and you have to... But other than that, he was very much into himself. People really didn't know him. And yet there was no Rebbe who was more public than the Rebbe. Got like completely opposite of his nature. You know, completely contrary to his nature. But when a person reaches a level of, of, of true greatness of mind, you can totally, radically transform and go totally beyond your nature. So it all depends on what level you bring, what you bring to the table, that's how Hashem responds. So if you bring such an intense, such a, an impersonal engagement and commitment of really understanding and developing a deep, true, penetrating understanding, then that's a, that reveals a whole different level which also can affect the emotions on a whole different level. So he says that the ultimate goal is to affect the emotions. That's the ultimate goal, to affect the vessels of the emotions. The mend the vessels and to expand the vessels and, but the way to accomplish that is through, through the intellect it has to pass through the intellect through awareness, there's no awareness 
there's no emotions. There's no change in the emotions. And that's why he says that the, the mitzvot, the root and source of mitzvot, rooted in the mind, which leads to the different judgments and different approaches, whether it's going to be judgmental or it's going to be more kind and embracing. So it originates in the, in the will and the pleasure, but then it, it passes through the mind. And through the mind, that's how it reaches the intellect, that's how it reaches the emotions. And that's the ultimate, ultimate purpose. So when you do a mitzvah, you're actually affecting change in the vessels, in the world of emanation. You're fixing, you're mending. And Hashem created Adam. It says He put him in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden. And His goal was, La'avda, to work the garden, Shamra, and to watch it. It's already a Garden of Eden. It's already a vessel of the, divine, the world of the divine emanation. But it's a small vessel. We discussed last week at great length. But in order to expand the vessel, that comes through Adam's work, through our efforts, through our mitzvot in this world, we greatly expand the vessel, which then could receive this intense light, this infinite light, this new intense revelation. Because the greater the vessel, the more it can draw, and it could receive and absorb. And that's the goal, that's what Hashem wanted. Now, the effect of this is not felt presently. Like we learned in the beginning of this essay, prayer affects, has an immediate effect in this world. Hashem responds to prayer. person is healed and miracles happen and things change. Versus the mitzvot remain, the effect remains in the divine world of emanation, remains in heaven. The Talmud says there's no reward of mitzvahs in this world. That's the halacha, like Rabbi Yaakov. It's there, but it's not, we don't have it in this world. We can't contain this world. It remains the effects, its powerful effects, all these tremendous effects remain. It's like your, your Swiss bank account. You're, you're saving it. You're putting it away. You know, it's there. You're making deposits, and it's accumulating. And by now, we're trillionaires. We have all that wealth accumulated over 3,330 3, 3, 3, years. But we can't access it yet. We haven't made any withdrawals yet. Mashiach will come. Then we'll get to spend all that accumulated wealth. We'll have the nachas. But it's there. We know it's there. Just reading your statement and knowing that you have all this wealth is just not bad, you know. We have. don't know what's a portion to our respecter or to Jeff or something yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. It's there. It's there. But, yeah, Hashem sure. still has to decide how it gets a, a portion. Well, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, individually and collectively, and Mashiach will come. Then we'll see the. It'll manifest itself. They'll unlock the, the treasure. You know, the Rebbe would say, we even have the key. We have the treasure. We have the key. But we say we haven't opened it yet. We have to open it. The key is in our hands, but we have to open it. We haven't opened it yet. Mashiach hasn't come yet then everything will be manifest here and now in this world, physically. We'll see all, the, all of that real, in a real way. But, but, but the effects are real. Something very powerful happens when we do mitzvah. And we do 630 mitzvot, we're fixing the whole world, we're fixing the whole universe, we're fixing and mending and expanding and fixing the vessels. This is what Hashem wanted. And how do we do this? 
by us in this physical living, in this coarse, crass physical world, and doing the physical mitzvah, and bending our egos. And every time you do a mitzvah, your ego doesn't dictate to you that you should do a mitzvah. It's not coming from your ego. Your ego tells you to put on tefillin. Ego tells you to be kind. Ego tells you to give tzedakah. Are you insane? Why? My ego tells me not to give tzedakah. Look out for number one, for myself. The, nothing of any, every, any bit of Torah that we do, this is not a program for the ego. This is a program to go out of your ego. It's godly. It's going contrary to your ego. It's going contrary to everything the world stands for. The world says it's about me. Every time you do a mitzvah, you're saying, no, it's not about me, it's about Hashem. It's about truth, it's about emes, it's about... It's, so you have 613 different ways of expressing that one single truth, getting out of your ego, but in, in 613 different ways. This by way of kindness, by way of strictness, by way of the center, compassion, all of the above, simultaneously. This is the Jewish way of life. It's a very... It's all connected and it's coherent and there's a singularity and there's a singular theme and purpose. You know, you can have a book it's made up of thousands of pages and uh, thousands of characters and details, but there's one single theme that brings it all together. This is Hashem's desire and Hashem's pleasure. It's what Hashem wanted. And every time we're doing a mitzvah, we're fulfilling Hashem's wish, Hashem's desire. And we're giving Hashem pleasure. Whether it's in this way or that way or the other way. 613 different ways. But it's all... All roads lead to Jerusalem. It's all, it's all about the same, same idea. So he's explaining the power of a mitzvah, the importance of a mitzvah, the power of a mitzvah, the effect of a mitzvah, how the mitzvah changes and mends and... and this is the reason for Moses' fervently to fulfill the act of mitzvot that are contingent on the land, i.e. that can be fulfilled only in the Holy Land. For these practical mitzvot are the ultimate purpose of the Ishvad Luth, chain-like stages of progressive self-screening whereby the divine light descends from level to level until ultimately this corporal world is created. The Talmud says in Saita, in Tracted Saita, at the end of the first chapter, Rabbi Simlai says, and Moshe requested, he prayed so many times to enter the land of Israel. He pleaded, he begged. Unlike the spies who didn't want to go into the land of Israel, Moshe, and he says, why did Moshe want to go into the land of Israel? Because he says, I want to fulfill all the mitzvot. Most of the mitzvot are only applicable in the land of Israel. Today, we could only fulfill one-fifth of the mitzvot, of the positive mitzvot. Most of the mitzvot are not relevant to us. We don't have a temple, we don't have sacrifices, we don't have all these laws. And all the laws of tithing, all these only in the land of Israel. And in general, the mitzvot in general, even other mitzvot are connected and associated with the land of Israel. That's really the ideal place to fulfill all 630 mitzvot. When the land of Israel is the way the land of Israel should be. <laughs> And Moshe Rabbeinu is there and there's a temple. That's why Moshe says the mitzvah should be fulfilled through me because it's only when Moshe is there. Like we say in the prayer, we want to do the mitzvah as you truly desire. As Rashi says, the mitzvah that we do today is just a symbolism. Just a reminder of the, of the mitzvah because the mitzvah will only be able to do the mitzvah properly only when Mashiach will come. 
when we'll be able to do all 613 mitzvot, when we'll have the temple and we'll be in the highest level and the world will be in the highest level and the objects with which we do the mitzvah will be in the highest level and we, the doers of the mitzvah, will be in the highest level. So today we're just like, we're just a symbolism, a reminder of the mitzvot, a training. We're training, we're keeping it fresh so when, when we actually have the opportunity, when Mashiach will come, then we'll finally, we'll be able to do the mitzvot we Hashem truly desires. So Moshe pleaded with Hashem that I want to go into the land of Israel. Because even though Moshe was the greatest prophet that ever lived and will ever live, with, Moshe felt without the mitzvah I'm missing something essential. There's something unique about a mitzvah. There's nothing that could replace the actual physical doing the mitzvah, which he didn't have the opportunity in the desert. Because that's the whole purpose. That's why the Hashem contracted his light in order to create this physical, material world. Because the whole purpose is, continue, to call forth... Call forth the infinite Ainsof light in order to refine the vessels of Zaharia, Yitzira, and Asiya, which are located in 288 sparks. And this purification is effected exclusively through Torah study and the Torah requiring action in Beria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Because the mitzvot are three parts. You do the mitzvah, which is the asiyah, the doing, the action. There is speaking. You make a blessing every time you do a mitzvah, which is yitzira, which corresponds to speech. And then the thought, the intent that's involved in the mitzvah, which is the, the uh, bria, which corresponds to thought. So by doing the mitzvah fully and properly, thought, speech, and action, you're elevating all of the sparks all of the holy sparks, these intense sparks in the world of chaos, which fell into these worlds, and by us doing the mitzvah, we elevate the sparks and return it back to its source, restore it back to its source, which draws down these intense lights. And by doing the mitzvah, we mend the vessels. Now we expanded the vessels. The vessels could receive these intense lights. So this is the whole purpose of creation. The whole dynamic, the whole purpose of creation was for this point, for us to do the mitzvah. So Moshe felt, if I don't do the mitzvah, I'm missing out on the whole point of, of creation, where Hashem created the world. It's not enough for me to learn Torah. I need to do the mitzvah. That's why he pleaded with Hashem. 515 times, stormed heaven and earth. Please allow me to go to Israel. I need to go to Israel. What was Moshe missing? He was 120 years. He's fully accomplished. His place in history is safe and secure. It's the Torah of Moshe. But Moshe felt, no, I'm missing the main thing. It's not I'm missing uh, icing on the cake. It's nice. It would be nice for me to do the mitzvah. I'm missing something essential. This is the whole purpose of creation, is for us to physically do the mitzvah. This is what Hashem desired. This is, what Hashem, this is Hashem's pleasure. This is Hashem's wish. This is why Hashem created the whole world. So how can I miss out on that? Since this is the purpose of all creation, and the mitzvah can be fully performed only in Holy Land, Moses fervently desired to enter it so that he would be able to perform them in the most complete manner possible. From all the above, we understand why the extraction and refinement of box is primarily accomplished through prayer, and even through the study of Torah is loftier than prayer. For prayer involves the elevation of the sparks of the Torah in the most supreme source there, and from there even higher to the Ain Sof. As the Alter Rebbe would so explain, this is so specifically in contemporary times because the loftiest souls of early generations could accomplish this speedily 
merely by reciting the Shema with its, with its introductory blessings and selections from the verses of praise. Nowadays, however, when soft, lofty souls are not to be found, the task of the Arur must come about through prayer. Here he's going back to what he started in the essay. The uniqueness of prayer, how it's even more powerful than Torah. How today, the main, he started out the essay, today the main service is through prayer. Because the main way we can affect change and make that transformation, transform the physical, the godly, it's through prayer. Not so much through Torah, for our generation, for us. Because we're not those lofty souls. When they study Torah, they completely transform them. We study Torah and it leaves us cold and indifferent. It doesn't transform anything. If we are not transformed, surely we're not changing or transforming the world. If anything, we may be adding a little more darkness. Maybe it inflates our egos a little. And if anything, we're not illuminating, we're adding to the problem. But the, when prayer, when you pray, and we're talking about a genuine prayer, a prayer that's heartfelt, a prayer that's soulful, a prayer that's soul-stirring, a prayer where something shifts inside, that's when <coughs> things start moving. That's when the ice starts melting. That's when things start shifting. And when we change, the whole world changes. We are the microcosm. And you see instant results. Hashem responds. Miracles happen. The sick get healed, and, and the, you have breakthroughs and, 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 and financial breakthroughs and any area in your life, you'll see. So that's through prayer. That's how we change things today, through prayer. That's how we elevate the sparks. So that's the uniqueness of prayer. But now he's going to focus on the uniqueness of the mitzvah, the deed, the actual mitzvah. Why the deed is more important than anything else. If you have three things in front of you, I can study Torah, I can meditate, which is the theme of prayer, or I have to do a mitzvah that no one else could do for me. If I don't do it, it won't get done. What do you do? The mitzvah. Put aside the Torah. Close the book. Stop the meditation. And go do the mitzvah. Which clearly tells me that the mitzvah is more important. Because if the whole theme of creation is to elevate the sparks, so yes, in a certain sense, there's nothing as powerful as prayer. As we discussed, it changes the whole, changes the physical world. On the other hand, there's nothing like a mitzvah. The effect of the mitzvah, there's nothing like the mitzvah. That's what he's going to focus on in this next part of the essay. A few points, very powerful points, what's unique and special about, about the mitzvah. And then he's going to go, he's going to go back to, to Torah. In other words, how each of these contributes something unique to the ultimate overarching purpose and the pleasure and reason why Hashem created the world in the first place. Hashem desired for us to elevate the sparks. How each one of them brings something unique to the table that's irreplaceable. And that's why each one of them is essential. But it's really not one or the other. Each one of these is an essential part of a Jew's life. We have prayer develop a very special 
relationship with Hashem is expressed in prayer. Our mission, our task, is the deed, the action, the mitzvah. We have to be activists. Not enough just to sit and meditate. And we have to study Torah. You have to be scholars. You have to study Torah. <laughs> and each one of these is irreplaceable, and each one of these is unique, and each one of these is special and essential. And is superior to all the others in its own way. So th- this, is, this is truth. Truth is... It's one truth, but it's dynamic, and it expresses itself the same truth, this way, that way, and the other way. And it's all expressing the ultimate truth, the ultimate goal, singular goal, to fulfill Hashem's wish and desire. Perform a mitzvah that cannot be delegated to another one for goes Torah study. Even the study of Masa Mikrava, the sublime Kabbalistic mysteries of the celestial chariot, and beyond question, one foregoes prayer, which is the state of intellect and intellectually generated along the line. Right, the whole purpose of prayer, the, the essence of prayer, the soul of prayer is that it's a time that you meditate and you develop a, a feeling for Hashem based on awareness and understanding. That's where you focus. Prayer is a time to focus and do the internal work to develop that internal sensitivity and feeling for Hashem. But if you have a mitzvah, that the hour is passing and I have to do the mitzvah, I can't push off the mitzvah because I'm busy praying. I don't have time to eat matzah. I'm going to pray all night on Pesach. I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, you have to cut this prayer short and make sure you do the mitzvah. You shake the lulav and you shake the yatzah and you do the matzah and you eat the sukkah. It doesn't push off. Mitzvahs come first. That's priority number one. Why is that? The reason. The reason is, as we have noted, that is, in order to extract and refine the sparks by means of the practical mitzvah, this being the purpose of the... So that's reason number one. That's what we just uh, discussed from the beginning, that the whole purpose is to extract the sparks, and by extracting the sparks and releasing the sparks and restoring the sparks and reconnecting it back to its source, you reveal those intense lights we discussed last week in great length. And now you've also mended the vessels, you've expanded the vessels, the vessels can now handle and absorb. So you have these intense lights and you have these expanded vessels that now can handle these intense lights. So that's the whole purpose. That's what Hashem wanted, that's what He desires. So that's reason number one why mitzvot are priority number one. Now He's going to give another, another powerful reason. Elaine, you like to read? In addition. In addition, indeed, the standing of the practical, practical mitzvah and their study for transcends the standing of intellect, meaning intellectually generated and loved. So he's saying here, doing the mitzvah and studying the mitzvah, studying the halacha, studying the Talmud and the Shulchan Aruch and the halacha, how to do the mitzvah and all its details and studying it in depth, that act of studying and that act of doing the mitzvah is superior and the meditation, and the Kabbalah, and the prayer. The mitzvah requiring action are superior in their performance and in the study of their laws, not only because they fulfill the ultimate purpose of creation through the extraction of the sparks, 
but also because they bond the soul with God. When you do a mitzvah, you are bonding with God. You are connecting with Hashem. And there's nothing as powerful as the mitzvah. Even though when you pray, and you feel your soul is clinging to God and cleaving with God and is becoming, is, you, you feel that union with God and you're melting and you're dissolving and you're merging with God. That's how you feel, that's how you experience, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. It's not a true bonding. Because God is so transcendent Hashem is so beyond us that we don't even have a hope, we don't even have a prayer <laughs> of bonding. <laughs> we feel like we're bonding. We feel Hashem and me, we're like this. But it's, it's only superficial. We can bond with the existence of God. But the true being of God We can't bond because we're, we're it's, just, it's just not in us. You know, we are not God. And we can't even comprehend. It's like uh, your, our soul. We know that we have a soul. We're certain that we have a soul. We feel our soul. You wake up in the morning, you feel yourself. That's your soul. Have you ever seen your soul? Have you ever spoken to your soul? You don't know what it looks like. You don't know what it sounds like. So what do you mean you know that you have a soul? I know of its existence. I don't know what spirituality is. I've never seen it. I can't grasp it with my hand. I can't see it with my eyes. I can't hear it. I, I, don't, I can't even imagine it. I just know it exists. Electricity. Do we understand electricity? No. But I know it's real. Because I put my finger in the socket, I'll get electrocuted. I have no understanding what electricity is. We observe phenomenon, mind-body connection. We see the reality of it, but I have no idea how that works. It, it's mysterious. My attitudes affect my health physically, manifest. My emotional sadness manifests into sickness. I see it, and I know it's real, but I don't know what it means. I, I've never seen it. I, I don't know. I know the, that it exists, but I don't understand. Something physical, not only do I know that it exists, I understand it. I can see it. Something you can see, you can wrap your fingers around, you can wrap your mind around. I know what this object is. I can relate to it. I can connect with it because it is me. I am material. So when I see something material, I relate to it. I connect with it. It's, it's part of me. But you can't relate to connect to something that's so beyond you. We can talk about angels. We say hello to angels. Friday night, Shalom Aleichem. Do I know what an angel is? I've never seen an angel. I can't even relate to it. What's, what's the entity of an angel? What is it? You can't envision it because it's not anything physical. Anything you'll envision is pure nonsense. It's ridiculous. You think an angel has eyes and with wings. and It's childish. It's cartoonish. It's not an angel. I have no idea. I can't even begin to picture because I am not spiritual. So I don't know what spirituality looks like. I am physical. I can relate to anything physical, something physical, I can relate to it. But anything that's not part of our realm, I can't really relate to it. I know it exists. I'm smart enough to know that it exists. 
I can experience it. I experience my own life, my soul, even though I have no idea what a soul looks like. But I'm very certain of my soul. So I, but I only know its existence. I don't really know its essence. So, so when you try it in prayer, you try to cleave with God, you try to connect with Hashem, you try to... Co- How could there be a connection when it's not our substance? We're not God. It's like a blind person. Try to describe to a blind person who's born blind. You ever spoken to a blind person who's born blind? He'll tell you. He can't relate colors. There's no way he's talking about. He, has, he can't even begin to imagine what colors mean. Because it's not in his realm. You can't imagine what you don't have. It's not part of his world. So our whole world is five senses. Can we imagine a six sense, a seven sense, an eight sense, a nine sense, a ten sense? So our whole world is so tiny. You're trying to understand God? God created five senses. He could have created a million senses, a billion senses, a trillion senses. I mean, we can't even begin to relate. It's, it's not, we don't have the tools with which to relate. We don't have it in us. We're not God. So God grasps us. We can't grasp God. So how can you cleave with God? What does that mean? You're cleaving with God. You're melting. You're merging. Your heart is on fire. Your mind. Me and God are one. We're, we're... I mean, are you kidding that's superficial. All you can know is the existence of God. But the essence of God? What is God? So if you, don't, if you can't, how can you connect? You can't really, truly connect with Hashem. It's not possible. You can't bond with God. Because we're not, we're not the same. We're not, we're not God. How can you bond? We don't even have it within us. So my mind understands. My heart is on fire. My soul is, 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 is meditating and reflecting. It's fine. God is not your soul, and God is not your mind, and God is not your heart. So it's all superficial. It's not a true bonding experience. So how do we bond with God? So what's the significance of being on fire? Oh, oh very good. He's going to explain later. He's going to explain later. It's very significant and very powerful. And very essential. That's why prayer is very important. But now he's speaking about, let's first speak about the limits, understanding the limits, appreciating the limits of our ability to bond, and how through mitzvot, mitzvot are the only thing we can do that we truly bond with Hashem. Not through prayer, not through meditation. The only way we can truly bond with Hashem is when you do a mitzvah. It's logical that a mitzvah is something that you do is going to evoke Hashem's happiness. But isn't praying one of the 613 mitzvah? So we're saying that you should do mitzvah and yet praying doesn't do the trick. And also repentance repent also a way to unleash God's uh, closeness to us and you know, His forgiveness? Yes. Absolutely. Repentance is a way to fix all the mitzvah that we didn't do or we did wrong. That's a, that's a way we can mend all the mitzvah. But he's saying the, the difference is besides the fact that technically prayer is rabbinic, according to Nachmanides, even according to Maimonides, the whole format of prayer is rabbinic. It's just... But the soul of prayer is 
that your soul is on fire. You're connecting with Hashem. That's the soul of prayer. That's the essence of prayer. Worship of the heart. Your heart is pouring, you're pouring your heart out to Hashem. You're connecting with Hashem. But your mind and heart, essentially, it's not Hashem. What are you bonding with? You're bonding with your mind and heart. Your mind and heart, even the most intense spirituality and the most fiery love and the most deepest contemplation. And that substance, your soul simply can't bond with Hashem. You're not Hashem. As hard as you try and as sincere as you are, it's just, it's just not cutting it. It just can't. It's, not, it's just not possible. But the mitzvah, the object of the mitzvah, the physical tefillah, the talus, the lulav and the yasrik, the matzah. This is godly. This is Hashem. You're touching the divine. You're bonding with the divine because the physical is something I can bond with. And here Hashem has enclosed himself into something physical. So, to speak. so this is the only opportunity we have. It's the physical mitzvah. It's the only opportunity we have to actually bond with Hashem which you can't do through any other way. You can't, not through prayer, or not through... It's the physical mitzvah. Giving the tzedakah, doing the mitzvah. There's no substitute. He was very sick with dying. You visit that person, and that is very important, you know, above everything else. Correct. That's you know, where we started. That's where he started out. There's a mitzvah that no one else could replace you. You have to close the book. And you have to go to that sick person and you have to visit him. Or you have to go to his Levaya and you have to, if there's no one else to escort him. If, he, if you're irreplaceable, if there's no one else like you who can inspire the crowd and no one else can do it the same, you have to close your book and you have to go ahead and do it. Whatever, if you're irreplaceable, the mitzvah takes precedence. The action, the deed takes precedence. That's the proof. Allah says, the Torah says, takes precedence over this Torah study, takes precedence over prayer, takes precedence over meditation. Even Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi, the ultimate mystic, who wrote the Bible and mysticism, the Zohar. If there's a mitzvah that no one else can do, he has to close his book, stop his meditation, and go and build the sukkah and do the mitzvah. So that's the most important thing. Now he's explaining why. Why is that the most important thing? Why is that overriding everything else? Because this is the only way you can bond with Hashem. This is a replacement. The whole purpose is you want to bond with Hashem. That's why you're praying. You want to bond with Hashem. But that bonding is nothing in comparison to physically doing the mitzvah. That's a bond that's irreplaceable. Isn't it a mitzvah to Davish Bakri to put on tefillin? I mean, you're doing that's, all those mitzvahs at the same time you're praying. That's what Rabbi Jay was asking, yes. But the whole essence of prayer is, again, it's the personal. It's pouring out your heart. It's you as a human being connecting with Hashem. God with you. created you. Your physical True. being was created by God. True. Shouldn't that be the bond True. also? But you are praying with your soul, with your spirituality. That's the whole idea of prayer. It's a time to be spiritual. Your spirituality, you can't really bond with Hashem. But the mitzvah, which is physical. The act that you're doing. The act, because we are physical. So we, we can relate to something physical. We relate to it, not only I know of its existence, it's not abstract. It's not electricity or soul or angels. It's physical. It's real. It's tangible. It's real. It's as real as it gets for me. I can bond with it. 
So when I'm doing a mitzvah with something physical, and the mitzvah is divine, I am bonding with the divine. Like nothing else. It's like, it's like, it's like being intimate. You can't be intimate intellectually, emotionally. It's very nice. <laughs> it's only physical. So it's the physical, it's the mitzvah, it's the, it's the bonding with Hashem is only when you do something physical. There's no, there's no replacement. There's no substitute. The loftiest Torah and the deepest Torah and the loftiest prayer and the deepest meditations. It's not a substitute. I cannot accomplish, I cannot achieve what I can accomplish by physically shaking the wool, shaking the aspirin, sitting in the sukkah, eating the matzah, putting on the tefillin, giving the tzedakah. I, it's a replacement. That's the point that he's, that he's making now. For though the verse declares, and to cleave to him, i.e. through cleaving to his attributes, we go, when one acts in a kindly manner, for example, he cleaves to the supernal sphere of chesed, and the sphere of holy one with Hashem. So it does say, it says, the Talmud says, that you can connect with Hashem, you should cleave with Him. How is it possible? God is fire. He says, if you follow in His footsteps, God is kind, you're kind. God clothed Adam. He was naked. So you also follow in God's path. Clothe someone who's naked, give him clothes. God visited the sick when Avram was sick after the bris. So you too also go visit the sick when you were sick. God came to comfort Yitzchak when Avram passed away, comfort the, mourn- the mourners. So you also follow Hashem's footsteps. Go comfort the mourners. So the Talmud does seem to say you could connect with Hashem by following his emotional attributes, by emulating Hashem. She says, nevertheless, still... Still, one does not cleave to the essence, mahut, of the supernal attributes, but only to the externality of their existence. Metziu. You can't compare our kindness to Hashem's kindness. No one is comparing. We are following in Hashem's footsteps. It's like a reflection of Hashem's kindness. It's a similarity. Hashem is kind and we're kind. But there's no, that's where the similarity ends. You can't compare Hashem's kindness. That way, not only because Hashem's kindness, Hashem is infinite. So His kindness is infinite. His compassion is infinite. And our kindness is limited. That's, that's, it's, it's deeper than that. It's qualitatively. It's a whole different... It, there's no connection. The essence of Hashem's kindness is divine. It's something that we can't even relate to. We can't even connect. We don't even know what that means. We talk about kindness. So we, some levels, most external, superficial level, you know... I know that kindness exists because we know what human kindness is. So I know that the idea of kindness, of, uh, ex- but it's only externally and superficial. The essence of divine kindness, I really have no clue what that means. It's so beyond our comprehension. It's a whole different level. It's a whole different category. I can't even begin to fathom because we don't have it within us. We're not divine. Not only because we're limited. It's a whole different level. And as he's Going to say as a, yeah. Can't you appreciate uh, Hashem's kindness by realizing that it's infinite compared to it's infinite love compared to our. Love. But he but he says it's much the distance between our kindness and Hashem's kindness is much more than the fact that Hashem is infinite and we're finite. As he's going to say right now, as it is written, and this we learned already earlier in the letter. Letter number 15 in the whole Holy Letters, this idea. I am dust and ashes. This was stated by Abraham 
with regard to the glimmer of his soul that illuminated his body and comparing it to its source, an irradiation of supernal kindness, as explained above at length in Epistle 15 in the name of the Maggot of Misery. He explained over there, Avram was the epitome of kindness. So much so, when Avram, it, the, the attribute of divine kindness, was jealous, said, I'm out of business. <laughs> Avram is down here and his kindness is so incredible, it's so godly. He opened his tent and he gave everyone so generously and he sacrificed his life for the Sadamites and for his nephew. And, I mean, he, he, Avram was just was like a son. He was like, his kindness was godly. It was completely beyond call of duty, obligation. It was, it was just a divine kindness because God gives and we give and he gave everything that he had, his time and his knowledge and his experience and his wealth, everything he had, he gave. And it was a gushing fountain of giving. And it was a gusher. And it made no sense. It's not, it didn't come from any logical, because Avram was a nice guy, he was a liberal, and he liked doing <laughs> kindness. It was a purely divine, godly understanding. If you understand the truths of Hashem, you have to become godly and kind and giving and generous. So he was, his kindness... Embody, was an embodiment of the divine attribute of kindness. And so what does Avram, yet Avram says, I am like dust and ashes. Meaning, he's comparing his kindness to Hashem's kindness. It's like the comparison of ashes to the origin of ashes. What's the origin of ashes? Take a beautiful tree that has leaves and flowers and fruits. Beautiful tree. And then you burn the tree. What's left? Ash. Which is, by the way, is really the essence of the tree. Because the essence of the tree, this is the part that's indestructible, the earth. Everything is a combination of gas and, and liquid and, and energy. When you burn a fire, the energy, it, it, it breaks apart all four elements. So the fire, the energy goes up with the fire. You also have uh, the smoke is moist. That's the liquid that goes up with the smoke. And then you have the, uh, the gas, the wind, the smoke. What's left? The ashes, the earth. But before, this earth was a beautiful tree. What's, what's left? Nothing. When you look at the ashes, do I have any clue, any hint of what these ashes were, where it came from? God forbid they cremate a person. God forbid. I mean, you see any connection to the ash and the person? It's like... So ashes, this is the essence. This is the essence of the tree. And yet, there's no resemblance even. It's nothing. It's not only that this is finite and this is infinite. This is an infinite tree and this is a tiny tree. It's not even a tiny tree. It's ashes. It's nothing. I don't see anything of the tree reflected in these ashes. That's the distance between us and Hashem. Avraham, who was the embodiment, the, the epitome of kindness, divine kindness. The world has never seen such kindness. And Avraham says about his kindness, my kindness in comparison to the divine attribute of kindness is like ashes in comparison to its origin. It's not even a reflection of the, of the original, of the divine because we don't even know what that means. We don't even know what divine looks like. We don't even know what spirituality looks like. Spirituality is not God. People make a mistake. People think religion, meditation, spirituality, art, beauty. That's nothing to do with That's not God. 
Spirituality is not God. God created heaven and earth. Just like earth is a creation, heaven, spirituality, high levels of consciousness, the upper worlds, the upper realms, the parallel universes, is all creation. The divine. We, we don't even know what divine looks like because we're not the divine. It's like a blind person. Try to explain to a blind person what, what, what sight, what colors are. He doesn't know what you He can't. It's not possible. As a scientist realizes today, we, we, everything that we know is just 5% of the universe, 95%. We don't know. We can't know. We don't, we don't even have the tools with which to know. We're so limited. Our whole universe is so tiny. Five senses are crying a lot. Hashem could have created a hundred senses, a thousand senses, a million senses. And Hashem is infinite. So our whole realm, our whole arena, our whole awareness, consciousness is so tiny. So we're trying to, to understand the grasp, the divine. So even when we talk about the divine attributes, which we relate to, God is kind and I'm kind. God is compassionate and I'm compassionate. So let's be honest here. You can't really compare. It's not even a reflection. It's like ashes in comparison to its art. Not only because it's infinite and finite, it's, it's, it's a whole different thing altogether. So you can't really bond. You can't really connect. So if that's the case, then what the value of saying uh, you know, the 13 attributes of kindness. I mean, uh, if we can't even connect, uh, you know, it's all like a mind game on our part. No. Uh, no. So he says, you do know the, on the external level, on the most external level, it, it, we do connect on the most external level. And that's also very, very valuable. And that's what he's going to explain later. But you have to realize it's only on the most external level. But when you do a mitzvah, you're not just bonding with the external level, you're bonding with the essence. You're bonding with the essence of the divine. And that you could only do by physically doing the mitzvah. So if we realize the power of a mitzvah, and Moshe begged and pleaded to go into Israel, it was so important to him to be able to physically do the mitzvah, you would look at a mitzvah as an opportunity, not as a burden, as an obligation, as a duty. As You know what a mitzvah is? You know how precious, how special a mitzvah is? This is the only thing we have. We can bond with the essence of Hashem, touching the divine. You would do the mitzvah with such enthusiasm, such excitement. Look at it as a gift, as an opportunity. This is what it's all about. It's the physical, it's the mitzvah. You would focus on the mitzvah. You would relish the mitzvah. You would do it beautifully. You would spend money on the mitzvah. You want to do it the most beautiful way possible. And that's the, the importance of the mitzvah. That's the power of the mitzvah. So this is the second point that he's making. First point is because this is how you elevate the sparks. And that, that was the whole purpose. And that's by doing the mitzvah. This is a whole uh, second point that he's developed. That it's only by doing the mitzvah you can actually you can actually bond. And then he's going to bring another point. <laughs> he's bringing many powerful points about that point. What makes the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah, the fulfillment of the physical mitzvah so unique and so special. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.